I want to invite, if she's here, wherever you're at, Helen Booby. Are you in this space? Where are you at? You were here this morning. There you are. I was looking out that way, and you're like close by. I did not um, ask Helen beforehand to share this, but uh, I saw her here uh, this morning and uh, asked her to share a little bit of an update of her uh, grandson, Andrew, who um, a couple months ago was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And we've been praying for Andrew and uh, just wanted Helen uh, to give a quick update where things are at. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank everybody here who has been praying and caring for our family so well, providing meals, calling us, texting us, um, just staying in contact with us. It's just been overwhelming. So for myself and our daughter and um, our family. So this week we got the best news ever. We got a scan back and it showed that the bones in his spine and his hips and his shoulders that were filled 100% with cancer are all clear. There is nothing in there. So we are just so excited. Yeah. Um, we still have to continue on our treatment course, and um, which will mean more chemo, and there will be surgery to move the small tumor that's left in his abdomen, which is very small. So we are just praising Jesus for the healing power Amen. of prayer. Amen. How else can we be praying for you guys? Just continued endurance. Yeah. Um, sitting with him in the hospital, I go every Sunday night and stay all day Monday or through Tuesday, and then just seeing all the other little kiddos that are walking around and just miserable, and you see their parents, and just pray for all the parents that are up there as well, because it's just hard. It's just hard, and it's isolating, and just tiring. So just endurance for us to continue, and just that this be a season. He's home until next week, Friday, um, before he starts round finding chemo, and um, they were over last night, and he was giggling and running and playing, and we haven't experienced that in quite a while, so it was just a awesome. blessing to have awesome. that noise in our house again. So yeah. thank yeah. you all. Awesome. Thanks for the update. I want to pray um, with uh, gratitude and thanksgiving <clears throat> for what God has done in Andrew's, uh, Andrew's life and in his little body, and it's quite the... Um, uh, it's quite the, the mix of emotion if you've ever been to Helen DeVos uh, Children's Hospital. It's a beautiful facility, amazing facility, and with tons of color and lights and all of that stuff. But then you see kids with no hair um, walking around, not walking around, being wheeled around. And uh, it's just a, a mixture of emotions, and there's a lot of, of parents and a lot of hurting people uh, up there um, who never thought that they would be going through this uh, with a little baby uh, with a little child, and so I want to pray for them, but also, um, this just hit me, uh, if you are struggling uh, right now with uh, some sort of illness, uh, some sort of sickness, whether it's cancer or whether it's something else, I want just to take a couple minutes and pray for you as well, um, so if you could just slip up a hand, uh, just right where you're at, there's some back there, and if you're near a person with uh, a hand up in the air, keep them up, let's uh, lay hands on them, and uh, we'll all pray together, thanks. Oh, Jesus, you are the great physician. You are the healer. And Lord, we give you praise and just say thank you for the amazing news that we heard this morning. We thank you for uh, those cancer cells which are no longer in Andrew's body. We thank you that, that for the scan and the results of the scan. And we give you all praise and glory. 
God, we thank you for how you have used doctors and medicine and everything in between and just your supernatural power, too, to heal. And we say, praise be to you, Jesus. God, I thank you for what you've done in his life. And I, th- I thank you for the testimony that he is. But also, Lord, today we also know that there are many who are still right in the midst of it. And there are families up at uh, Helen DeVos and other hospitals that are spending this Christmas season in the hospital. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that you uh, would provide your healing power in those places, Lord. We ask that, that the sick would be made well, all for your glory. And God, for those families that are spending time at Helen DeVos and, and with their kids, I ask that you would encourage moms and dads and grandparents and, and any other relatives, God, that you, would, um, that you would encounter them in a very real way. And for those in this room who raised their hands, we ask in the name of Jesus for healing, that your healing power would fall and we command sickness to go in Jesus' name, that those who are sick would be made well, all for your glory. Also, for, the, for your fame and the glory of your name could be known all across West Michigan. God, I ask that you would encourage those who are going through just the thick of it right now. That you would continue to surround them with people. That you would encourage them and bring hope to their souls. And we thank you again that you're not distant, but that you're near. And so in each situation here, I ask, Jesus, that your kingdom would come. That your will would be done. All for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 12 is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. And we're going to look at that in, in just a little bit, but uh, we're going to kind of just uh, pivot here just a little bit. And I want to ask uh, you to think about a time in your life when you just felt stuck. Maybe you were you're stranded, a time when just life just had you just feeling stuck alone, maybe it was physically, maybe it was emotionally, maybe it was spiritually, and you just felt like there was just no one around and you were just in despair. When I was thinking of this question this week, there's a time in my life that came like right to my mind and it was when I was a junior in high school. I was going to the the junior-senior prom I was driving my parents' white Mercury Sable right behind me. I had just spent the entire day washing the entire vehicle, vacuuming the inside, got a can of Armor All, sprayed it all over the tires, sprayed it all over the dashboard. This thing was looking nice. I was going with a good friend of mine. We were going with a group of people, and I went to my friend's house. Kim was her name. And I went and picked her up, and we went to downtown San Diego to a dinner where all of my classmates were having dinner, and there we had our junior-senior prom. Got in the car, went back, there was a little after-party gathering, and there I was that night cruising on I-15 in San Diego. I was going about 70, 75 miles an hour, which you think, okay, that's not all that fast today. Well, back in the day, like 65, or it might have been even like 55 was the speed limit. So I was cruising on five lanes of traffic, people going here, there, everywhere. I had my mixtape in, the cassette holder, and I was just, we were just having a great time. And all of a sudden, it just was north of Poway, and I can remember like that that's very spot just off of the, the highway, or just on the highway, where all of a sudden... I heard this noise, just boom. 
And I'm like, what happened? And I kept driving. I didn't like slow down. I just kept driving. And then I heard the sounds of rubber hitting my car. I had blown a tire. And so I pulled off to the side of the road, and, and there I sat, stranded. I had no idea what to do. And this was before cell phones. I couldn't call my mom or dad and said, hey, I'm, I'm stranded. There I was, stuck in my tux on the side of the road with nothing to do. And I had no clue. My dad had not taught me how to change a tire. I had no clue how to change a tire. The date that I was with, my friend Kim, she was a little energetic and a little um, spastic at times. And she got out of the car while other cars were flying down the highway. She got out of the car on the side of the highway and was running up and down going, we're stranded, we're stranded. She's running in her dress up and down the highway. I'm like, what are you doing? All of a sudden, a a car pulled off the road. It was a Chevy Chevette, a small little thing with a hatchback with stickers all over the back. And they were, let's say, not appropriate stickers. I remember what one said, but I won't share that here this morning. But they were like bad. One of them had a picture of a hand waving with one finger. It was just like not, not a good thing. And my date, Kim, my friend, ran up to this car. I'm like, what are you doing? She ran up to this car, and this guy got out of the car, and she gave him a big hug. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm like, this guy, we don't know if he's helping us or if he's going to, like, take us hostage. We have no idea what, like, he's going to do. And he approached me, and there I was, my 16-year-old self, just had my license for two months. And I'm like, hi, can you help me? He got in the trunk, pulled the jack out, got the spare tire out, and changed it, and sent me on my way. I was so relieved. There I was stranded with no hope, like, just completely stuck. And here was a guy who didn't come to, like, you know, take anything from me, but he came to give. And I remember what he said. He said, yeah, I was driving down the road, and I just felt like someone was, was sending me to you, that I should stop on the side of the road. You're blown away. And I love that because in that picture is just a glimpse, just an absolute, like a little tiny glimpse of the character, something that is the very core of the character of God. I love 1 John chapter 4 because there I think we get a very clear picture at the very like essential qualities of who God is and something that we're really reminded of this Christmas season. One of my pet peeves isn't when someone leaves their blinker on like for extended periods of times. It's when I'm sitting actually with somebody and I hear that they have an inaccurate view of God. I don't know where that inaccurate view came from, but, but often they'll say things like, oh, I haven't been at church in a while and so God doesn't like me that much. Or I really haven't been reading my Bible and so I got to get back into this and, you know, God thinks this or that of me. And it breaks my heart because what is communicated in that is that this, there's a sense of religion that we can earn favor with God. And that is so messed up. We did nothing to earn favor from God. It was all his doing, him coming to us. We didn't love God at all, but he loved us and came to us. And that's what I love about this passage in 1 John. Because here we see John, someone who was dearly loved by Jesus, writing to a community of Jesus followers, and he's writing as he's an older man, 50 years after Jesus ascended and went into heaven. And here he's outlived his buddies. Many of them died for their faith. And while he did suffer, he lived a a long time. 
And he's writing from this perspective of, of talking about a friendship with Jesus. And here he had a close relationship with Jesus, and, and while forgiveness is the very foundation of our faith and that we should be singing about forgiveness and, and proclaiming about forgiveness, John knew something completely different. He knew forgiveness, but he also had this friendship with Jesus. It was this relationship that was birthed out of love, and that's the very core of what we believe. So let's look at what John says in 1 John chapter 4. He says this, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God first loved us and sent his son. God is love. And this is the primary truth that dominates all of Scripture, everything in this book. Uh, think about what this says about the character of God and who he is. God looked at the condition of the world and saw a world that had turned hit their back on him. And instead of just washing his hand and being like, I'm done with you, even though there were times when, when God was deeply saddened and wanted to just be like, done with it. But he didn't do that. He didn't turn on his back on a world that had turned their back on him. Instead, he pursued them with his love and sent his son. Now this morning, I want to just focus in on that phrase. God sent his son and understand who we see in the manger. Because Christmas is this time when, when heaven comes crashing into earth and we talk about a manger and we think of the baby Jesus and, and small little infant, tiny baby Jesus yet to utter a sound. And we, we think of, of little baby Jesus, but I want to fully understand, for us to fully understand who we're talking about. And I love the picture of Jesus that we get in Philippians 2. When Paul writes, he says, Jesus was in the very nature God. Very nature God. Jesus, the one who came to earth, is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. In Hebrews, we see that he holds the world together in the palm of his hands. Colossians 1 says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by him and for him. I mean, think about this. Not only did Jesus create the world, he was holding the world and holds the world together in the palm of his hands. And not just the world, but the entire universe. I don't know if you saw the news this week, but there were some pictures that were released from a satellite that just uh, flew by Jupiter. The satellite was sent in 2011 and just got to Jupiter. So it took seven years, according to my calculations there, my quick calculations. Seven years to get to Jupiter. And scientists thought that as it flew by Jupiter, it just was going to see kind of these boring patterns of colors and shapes. But here are some pictures that they sent back from Jupiter. And NASA put out a little question that says, do you see any animals in there? And so people were guessing like what they saw in there. But here's another one of Jupiter. 
Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Now, I want you to think about that picture and see that picture in light of just what I told you about Jesus, that he is the creator and the sustainer, the one who holds the universe in his hands, the one who holds it all together. Scientists this week just also found, uh, they, they said they discovered the planet that is the furthest out in our solar system. They nicknamed it Far Out, which I'm like, all right, sweet, nice creative name. But here's what they said, and, and here's where it is in relationship to Earth. Earth is approximately, approximately, 93 million miles from the sun. Far out is 120 times that. So we're Earth over here on the left, and there is the planet that they just found. Now again, think about that in light of just what I told you about Jesus. He was the one who created all of that with the word that came from his mouth, but he's the one who holds it all together. And in addition, he not only holds it all together, he not only created it, but all of it was created for him. See, the purpose of all of that is to bring glory and honor and worship to Jesus. And the picture that we see in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord lifted high, exalted, and the angels are around the throne saying, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty. In John chapter 12, we see that that was actually a picture of Jesus because Jesus is saying in John 12 that Isaiah saw my glory. Isaiah saw Jesus. And so the picture that I want you to see is that, that Jesus is God, that he is the one who came to this earth. He's not just a, a little baby born in a manger, but he is God sent to us. And it goes on to say in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of all of that. He became nothing absolutely nothing a baby born in a manger born to a socioeconomic class that had nothing he was born in nazareth came from nazareth and what did they say about nazareth nothing good comes from nazareth nothing good comes from nazareth and even the picture that we see in isaiah 53 it says that there was nothing in his appearance that drew anybody to him and he came and he emptied himself and he died a death on a cross why? According to John, it says, because he is the propitiation of our sins. Now, how many of you use that word this week? <laughs> yeah, Barry did. Nice job. But I think sometimes we see that word, and it's a big word, and it gets misunderstood. And um, I love that word, and the reason I wanted to talk about this word is because of the picture that it portrays. See, in other translations, it says that Jesus came to be the sacrifice for our sins. And while that is very accurate and very true, there are many places in this world where people sacrifice things, and they do that on a yearly basis. And so sometimes I think we think of the word sacrifice as something that needs to happen over and over and over again. But this picture that we get from the word propitiation is that Jesus covered our sins. Covered our sins, covered our wrath. And so if you see, I got a tennis ball here. I just picked this out of my office, a tennis ball. And if I put this under my shirt, I cover it. Nobody sees the tennis ball you know, anymore. You just see this growth that I have right here. But it's completely covered, completely hidden. And so when you see me, you don't see the tennis ball. You just see me. And that is what Jesus came to do. He who had no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that when he died on the cross and he paid for our sins, it was once and done. When he yelled out, it is finished, it was completely finished. That we don't have to earn our way to God. That it was earned for us by his death on the cross and through his resurrection. So that now when God sees us, he sees his son Jesus. And in him, in Jesus, there is now no condemnation. 
I mean, that's good news. The old is gone, the new has come. And Jesus came, God, the one who held it all together, the one who created it, came and emptied himself and died the death so that you and I can be righteous. And on Christmas, this season, that's what we get to celebrate. The fact that he came to us. And I think about that, and I, as I even say that, and it's been hard to get into this Christmas season, but as I, as I sit and I thought about this this week, I just thought, like, what kind of God does that? What kind of king does that? Where do we see that picture of leadership in our world today where someone empties themselves themself of all glory on behalf of other people for the benefit of others? I mean, this is the posture of our king, our God, who came and served us, who came in, in, in a little manger because of his great love for you and I. We were stranded on the side of the road. We were broken down. We were beat up. And we didn't need just somebody to come back and, and patch our tire together and put all the bits and pieces together. No, we needed a whole new tire. And Jesus said, I see you, and I'm going to come and do that. I'm going to pro provide a way. And I love the whole Christmas imagery in the scene of the manger, even though for many of us, we've tamed it down. We have our nice little manger scenes with the animals, the wise men who didn't come until a couple years later. But we have this nice, neat scenery. But here's a picture of where Jesus most likely would have been born, in a cave underneath a house and with animals. And we like these images of animals. But what do animals do? They're a lot like babies. They eat, sleep, and poop. So there would have been a smell in there. There would have been times where it would have been cold, and so at the top of that cave would have been black smoke from years of just a fire in there. And I love that picture of the manger, this picture, because here is where our God was laid. And I get so much encouragement from that because God comes to the darkest places of our world and brings light. And that is so symbolic of our lives, that cave. We were in darkness. We were lost. We were without hope. We were without God. And Jesus, the light of the world, came into that situation and blew the whole thing up with the, the radiance of his glory and offered us a way back into relationship with God. And that is amazing, amazing news. And I'm blown away that this doesn't happen just once, but happens over and over and over again as all of you have experienced God coming into your life and saying, I'm here, I'm showering with you, you with my love and my affection because this is the very core of who God is. This is what he loves to do is, is pursue us with his love and his grace. The last couple months I've been hanging out with Guys, on a Thursday morning from 70 times 7. And I've absolutely loved it. And if you're not doing anything on Thursday mornings, come and, and serve with people who are entering uh, society after spending years in prison. And as I've gotten to know their stories, one thing has blown me away. And it's been this, this common phrase that is used. When I ask people about, tell me their story, like tell me about how you encountered Jesus, the one thing that I hear often, not every time, but often, is that people encountered Jesus in solitary confinement. And just a couple weeks ago, a gentleman was sharing his story, and he got to that point, and I said, stop, stop right there, stop, stop. And I said, what is it about solitary? I hear so many stories where people encounter Jesus in solitary confinement. What is it about it? And he looked at me and goes, the only one there besides you is Jesus. And he goes, when I was in solitary confinement, I came face to face with Jesus and my life changed. <laughs> there I was like, 
That is absolutely amazing. That in the darkest of places, in the loneliest of situations, we are never alone because Jesus is there. Because of the beauty and the amazing picture of the Christmas story, God coming to earth, God pursuing us, God pursuing you and me. The question that I have for us this morning is do we realize that we need our lives to be transformed? See, so often I think the problem that we have is we're cruising along in our car and we have these tires that are blown out everywhere and we think we're all good. And we, all we need is just a little bit of this or that, but actually what we need according to Scripture is the total transformation. Complete transformation, not just a little forgiveness, but actually a new life. And that's what Jesus came to give and to bring. The question is, have we received it? Have we received this new life? But I think the challenge that God has for us this morning is I want to look at a couple other passages in this, a couple other verses in this passage. What do we do with this love that we have received? Because Grandpa John has some words for us. He says this in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Let us love one another. Let us love us, because John is writing to a group of Jesus followers, and he's saying, let us love one another. If you have been received love from God, let us love one another. See, your love for one another, your, 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 your love actually starts with the people in this room, the people in your row. Let us love one another. Let's love one another the way that Christ has loved us. Let us love one another with this unconditional love, this love that is willing to be inconvenienced, this love that is willing to be um, self-sacrificial. A love for one another. And then he says this, because those who love have been born of God. And I love that picture because this type of love, if we're to live this type of love, this love is something that we can't manufacture. We can't just all of a sudden just churn up. We have to actually have an encounter with the living God and be changed from the inside out for us to love this way. But the truth is, once we encounter Jesus, once we encounter him, we are never the same. Once we realize how much we have been given through his death and through his resurrection, we are quick to say, you know what, we're just going to pour it out to other people. But then he goes on to say, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's the thing when it comes to loving others. This is the quickest way for you to grow in your relationship with God. If you love others. See, the, the, the depth of knowledge that you will have with God is only to the level that you will love like him. And here, Grandpa John is saying, you know what, as you love one another you're going to grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is. So many people want to grow in their knowledge of God. They want to grow deeper in the relationship with Jesus. But what John would have us say and learn this morning is that you only grow in your relationship with Jesus by the way that you pour out your life for others. Because then as you're pouring out your life for other people, as you're loving other people, you're realizing, oh, that's what God did for me. That's what he did to me in my life. But then he goes on and, sa and says this. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you get that picture there? No one has ever seen God. I've been following Jesus for many years and I've never seen him. Never seen him face to face. But John says, if you love one another, 
His love is made perfect in you and and is manifested through you. And what he would say to us today is the way that you love one another, the way you lay down your life for one another actually gives the world a glimpse, just a little glimpse of God. And I think what an amazing opportunity in this world that we live in, in a world that is so hurting, where there's so many people that are discouraged and beaten down and looking for love and looking for hope and looking to be filled. Here we have, church, as an opportunity by the way that we love one another to give the world that is desperate to see it a glimpse of God. And while I have never seen God face to face, I have seen glimpses by the way that you have loved one another. I have seen glimpses when I've seen teenagers pray over one another, who, uh, over a person who is just hurting. And I look at that situation, whether it be on a Wednesday night or at a different time, and I'm like, that is a glimpse of God. By the way that you engage in conversations with one another, by the way that, that if somebody is in need, you help out, that gives the world a glimpse of God. And in this Christmas season, the challenge to all of us is are we giving the world an accurate picture of who God is? For us who have received so much from the Lord, are we pouring out our lives to others? Not as an act of like, oh, I have to do it, but actually as an act of I get to do this. I get to show the world an amazing picture of the God who saved me and rescued me when I was stranded on the side of the road. And now he's sending me to do the same. See, we have to give the world an accurate picture of God. That he is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. In Moran Park, may we do that not just with our words. May we not love just with our words, but also with action and with deeds. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are gracious, that you are merciful. You're slow to anger, abounding in love. And God, I recognize that, that we can't give anything that we ourselves haven't received. And so for us in this room, God, I pray that today that we would be reminded of your grace, that we'd be reminded of your love, that we'd be reminded of, of how passionate you are towards us. So much so that you would send your son not to, to condemn the world, but to save the world thank you that you did that for us but God I also ask through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would compel us just like Paul said that it's your love that compelled him may your love compel us to live not for ourselves not for selfish ambition but to live in such a way that we're pouring out our lives for this world to see the amazing God that we serve may we have the same attitude as Christ Jesus God, I ask that, uh, that you would show us today, that you would show us who, that you would show us where to go, that you'd show us what to do, that you'd bring opportunities into our path. Just like so many years ago, that guy stopped on the side of the road. May we be quick to stop on the side of the road for people as an opportunity to show them the amazing God that loved them so much to send his son Jesus to them. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.